Luke chapter 24, I'm in the New King James Version. Now, behold, two of them were travelling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Verse 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. Seven miles from Jerusalem down to Emmaus. It was Sunday afternoon, the day of the resurrection. Only they don't know. Cleopas is one of their names. We don't even know the name of the other guy. They're probably part of the 70 that formed Jesus' followers before his death. And as they're walking the seven miles, how long does it take to walk seven miles? I haven't done that lately. Three hours? No? Four? Come on, I must walk slow. They're fit, that's all they do. They don't own a car. They don't have a motorbike. Two hours? Can you walk seven miles in an hour? Are we going to vote on this? Two hours to walk down there. Two hours, okay. As they walk, they've got tears in their eyes. Their world has been utterly devastated. They had built this theological sandcastle that they thought was going to be their home and one wave has swept in and wiped it out and then drew back out and their sandcastle was gone. They thought, they thought that this Jesus guy was going to restore Israel and in one day all of their plans and their hopes and their dreams were washed back out to sea. And now they've got nothing. Seven miles. Two hours to contemplate their poor, poor situation. Ah, oh, poor us. How bad it is for us. How terrible it is. And they don't even know that the guy that they're upset over is walking along beside them. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humour. Jesus is walking with them while they're weeping and complaining about him. We would never do that, would we? <laughs> Poor me. Why didn't God do this? Why didn't he do that? And the man himself is walking beside you. 
This is a classic. I love this story. I love this story. Verse 17. If you didn't think Jesus had a sense of humor. And he said to them. What kind of conversation is this? That you have with one another as you walk and are sad. Do you think Jesus knows what they're talking about? Oh, he knows. But he has to, he has to ask. You see, Jesus has only got two hours. Two hours to get these would-be followers of Jesus back on the right track back down on the correct road and get back to the task that he's given them. They're all upset and sad and he's got two hours to get them back to where he needs them. How's he going to do it? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? (laughs) Don't tell me Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. He was the one that was crucified on the cross. a cartoon called Felix the Cat. Did anyone ever see Felix the Cat in Wagga? Did they show Felix the Cat in Wagga? I liked Felix the Cat. Do you remember this song that went with the cartoon? This will test you. Felix the Cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. Whenever he gets in a fix, he reaches into his bag of tricks Seen this, this silly cartoon. The cat in the cartoon, a very basic cartoon. I think it was black and white even. I'm showing my age. Black and white cartoon, this silly little cat had a bag of tricks. And that cat would come to a river he couldn't cross and out of his bag he'd pull a canoe. And he crossed the river. He had a bag of tricks. There wasn't anything Felix couldn't do while he's got that bag. Let me tell you that Jesus' bag of tricks is better than Felix the cat. This is the guy, Jesus, the son of the living God, who has always existed. There never was a time that he wasn't. The Bible says that he created the world. 
what will he do? They continue their pity party. I like the Americans, they call it a pity party. We call them whinges. We've seen that displayed from our brethren in England over the last week in the ashes. Like, <laughs> that's not the spirit of the game. He's out! Stop whinging and get some runs. Boy, why did I talk about cricket? I shouldn't have done that. I betrayed myself. If you're from England, I apologise. Not really, but anyway. <laughs> what things? Verse 19, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him and condemned him to death and crucified him. And here we have it, verse 21. Here's the essence of the winch. We were hoping. It sounds like you put a bet on a horse. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Hmm. We kind of put some money on that horse and we lost our money. Indeed, besides all this, this is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. It's not only whinging because of what we were hoping, but these crazy women, ladies, God gave the message of the resurrection to the women first because the men were too slow to believe. Can someone say amen? The ladies, come on. He had to go to the women. He had to go to the women. The churches are always filled and run by women in our day because the men are gone missing. And on this day, the men were missing. They were slow to believe. Come on, men. Verse 23, when they did not find his body, they came saying they had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. Do you think you'd be sad? If the deaconesses run into the board meeting and say, hey, it's not true. An angel came and told us, not only is the body gone, but he's alive. They should be having a party at this point, but they're sad. God wouldn't just show women. And certain of those who were with us, verse 24, went at, uh, with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Jesus can take it no longer. He's about to transform these discouraged, despondent followers into the real thing. How's he going to do it? Then he said to them, 
O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to entered into his glory? Here's the, here's the Felix the cat. This is where he's about to pull out of the bag the secret. This is about, this is the point where he's about to fix the followers of Jesus. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That is a Bible doesn't do some great waving of the hand and parting of the sea. He pulls out of his back pocket the Bible and he gives them a Bible study beginning in Genesis and ending at the last of the minor prophets. And he gave them a Bible study about himself. If today if today you are one of those struggling disciples wondering where God is, I want to invite you this week to start your day with the word of the living God and get yourself refocused and recentered in what you should be about and where you should be going through the reading. And I've got to be honest, these days I listen to it in the mornings because I can't find these things half the time. Beauty of having one of these smartphones is I've got my Bible app and I can listen to minimum three chapters a morning. Sometimes it's longer and more, depends on how engaged I get. But I can have the Bible in my life every day and it fixes me. And it changes me. Why would it do that? Come with me to John chapter 6 and verse 63. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Oh, is that cold before now? I'm sweating. John chapter 6. Is anyone else hot in here or is it just me? My wife's shivering on the front row. John 6 and verse 63. She's got an overcoat on. This is why I want you to That's why I want you to start your day in the Bible. Because it is still God's chosen method to transform us and make us new people. That's God's way. That's what he reaches into his pocket and pulls out. He pulls out the Bible. Why? In John 6 and verse 63, Jesus is speaking. He says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh 
profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. I can't explain it. I can't explain it, but it has power to transform you. I, I hope I, didn't, I haven't told you these stories before. I always get confused where I tell stories, but I was pastor in Port Macquarie and this young guy comes to me and he says oh pastor I need to be baptized I said yeah amen brother can you baptize me I said I'd love to do that that's such good news that you want to do that when can we have bible studies he said oh no I don't need to do that I've already done it what did I say next I said great I'll come around and see you this week. What do I think in my heart? I said great, but I thought, oh, what a foolish statement. I don't need Bible studies. Every, I need Bible studies and I've been teaching it for 28 years. Every one of us needs Bible studies. This young guy, he's a drummer in a rock band and owns his own tattoo gun. But he doesn't need Bible studies. Okay. So I go around to the house and he's got two other roommates in this house and it is the house of Horace because <laughs> they're young fellas living on the beach, surfing. And I went into the house and it was like, uh, it was pretty wild. And I sat down and all over the walls were naked women, posters, playboy centerfolds everywhere. And <laughs> I thought, I've got a live one here. This is, this is cool. I love to give Bible studies where I know it's needed. I sat down, I looked up, and there's this blonde looking at me, and I said, listen, I can't give a Bible study here looking at her. So I moved. I never said another word. We just started because they didn't need Bible studies. Well, they did actually. So I tricked them into it. As pastors do, we get a bit crafty. I got them started in the first baptismal vow, and that went for two weeks, studying the nature of God. We just started at the beginning, and we gave Bible studies. And every week I'd come back, and we'd give Bible studies. They'd ask the wildest questions. I can't repeat some of the questions in church. We just kept studying and studying and about two months in I came back one day and all the girls were gone I'd only said that one thing that first time I said what happened to the girls oh we thought we'd better take them down a few weeks later I come back they normally give me a biscuit and a drink or something they said oh pastor we don't have any food today because we're fasting and reading Desire of Ages. The drummer in the rock band with his own tattoo gun is fasting, reading Desire of Ages. He's now a Seventh-day Adventist pastor himself to this day. Not only did he get baptised, but his two buddies with him. And I don't care what you say, that's a miracle. And you know how it happened? The Living Word, it's a dangerous book. If you open it and you start to read it, be careful. It'll mess you up in a good way. 
And I still, to this day, if I meet someone new, I want more than anything to get them into a Bible study because I know that this is a living word, discerns the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. That's what it says. It never returns unto God void. And so I do anything I can to get people to open it, to read it, because it has a supernatural power. That it did on the road to Emmaus that day, it has the same power today. It's an awesome book. It is the book of books. John Wesley said, I'm a, a one-man book. He said, my blood is, when I bleed, it bleeds Bible. It's Bible line, he called his blood. Every morning, he went into his little room. I've been to his home. It's a museum now. And on this little chair is a Greek Bible because he could read the Greek at age six. His mum was pretty hard. She taught all her 19 children to read the Greek New Testament. He read it every morning and he was a man of one book. Ellen White's last words to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I commend to you this book. It's a power book. Please neglect this and neglect that, but don't neglect the Bible. That's the one thing I don't want you to do is neglect the Bible. When Jesus opened it to those disciples and he didn't have one in his pocket, he had it in his mind, his memory, he was teaching them truth. In, if you come with me to John 17 and verse 17, shortest verse, and I'm nearly finished my sermon. I'm getting very close to the end because it says so up the back there. In John 17 and verse 17, shortest verse, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is not a term that we use a lot in modern Australian vernacular. It means to set something apart or to make it holy. Jesus is in the longest prayer recorded of Jesus is John 17. One of the longest prayers in the whole Bible. In John 17, he's praying for his disciples because he knows they're not ready. He's praying for their transformation and he asks his father to set them apart, to make them different from other people, sanctify them. How was he going to do that again? He prays that God would sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The devil hates this book. The world is at war with the contents of this book like never before. This whole crazy, I'm sorry, I say stuff I get into trouble for. So please sort of, if you feel like getting me in trouble, just glaze over. The alphabet mark.
one big accident. Kabang! Imagine if you were able to get a bunch of, well, we couldn't even have bricks, a bunch of sand and gravel, and you put some dynamite in it and you blew up the sand and gravel, and then you came back and this was standing there, this building. <laughs> it's a nah, nah. The human body makes this building look like a piece of dirt. The, the sophisticated, self-maintaining thing that is our body, fearfully and wonderfully made, the scripture says, it didn't happen from a kabang. It didn't happen, life did not start that way. It may end that way, but it, it did not start that way. It is far too complex. These are far too complex systems. And science is coming to terms with... I, I went to the National Library in Canberra and I asked to see an original copy of Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species. Have you ever held the, the book, the original one? They only give you part of the title. It is the most racist book you'll ever pick up. Utterly racist. And led to genocide of millions of people. It's an evil book. And they won't even give you the full title. Google the full title sometime. I had a, I, they had to have a special room. I had to go in because it, it's worth a fair bit of money. If I had to put it in my pocket, I could have got in a lot of trouble. But I went to the National Museum and held the book. I thought, was it 1853 it came out? He was on the Beagle in 1844. Very interesting. This book is truth. And no matter what popular opinion says... This will always come out on top, always. Just stick with the Bible and you'll be just fine. You'll be just fine. I've got to finish my sermon. My wife's looking at me funny. I always pick on her when she comes to church. I wonder why she doesn't come to church with me. She teaches Sabbath school at Tumut. You know where Pastor Roger is today? Tumut. Last thing I want to tell you is John chapter 5 and verse 39. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. 39 and 40, John 5. You see that I haven't really left John a lot. John 5 and verse 39. The Bible is a living word. It is spirit and it is life. It is truth and it's transformative truth. But in John 5 and verse 39, the fourfold witness, the last witness is scripture and Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. The other thing I want to tell you about this book, it is, it is the way I have a relationship with God. He said, these are they that testify of me and you're not willing to come to me. I can tell you just this last week, I've been listening to Second Chronicles. I'm working my way I'm, I'm to, to uh, 
this Esther I'm up to now, I'm going through the whole Bible. And I listened to the story of Solomon. You've heard the story of Solomon. I've read the story. I've heard the story again and again and again. And he prayed. What did Solomon pray for? Wisdom. And you know, when I'm reading my Bible or I'm listening to my Bible, it's a dynamic process. And I just just come into my head, what should have he prayed for? You'd think wisdom is all he'd need. But he ended in such a mess. And then the Lord said to me, he should have prayed for an obedient heart. So you know what I've started to do? I'm not praying for wisdom. I'm praying for obedience in my life. And the Lord knows I need it. An obedient heart. How would have Solomon's life ended if that was his prayer? Because at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes, he says, this is the whole duty of man, to fear God and keep his commandments. What if he had have asked for that instead? I want to encourage you to read your Bible. Spend just, even if it's a few moments, don't neglect it. God uses it to change you, to transform you, and ultimately to save us. He tells Paul that when Paul teaches it to others, he's not only saving them, but he's saving himself. And that's why I would love most of all if you could get to teach the Bible to someone else. That would be a game changer in your life. Whatever it is, please remember, The way Jesus transformed Emmaus and his friend was not through some grand miracle. It was a simple miracle. It was the miracle of reading the Bible. God bless you.